transmission. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob right. Morris. Looks like uh, Diamond Drew Morgan is uh, showing up here in the Zoom. Uh, so, right. Jacob, yeah, whenever, so, whenever you're ready. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the overtime. Um, still listen to the valley labor report we are now off of the radio we've gotten rid of those fcc sensors and so we're gonna go ahead and take a break really quick while we um uh, you know our normal break into overtime and and uh i don't know maybe do a little bit of uh just a little bit of last minute prep about <laughs> i need some debate prep honestly <laughs> debate i prep. i don't feel very prepared for this i mean of course i'm against child labor but you know, but, you know, I, you just don't ever have to really think about. You know, it's not often that you have to defend anti your anti child labor position, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had to defend that thesis in a while, so yeah. uh, I better do some homework real quick. Yeah. All right, folks. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, folks. Welcome back. You are still listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We're in overtime. That's the second half of the program where we have gotten rid of the FCC sensors. We are online only. You can listen to us uh, in overtime on Facebook, YouTube, and as a podcast, folks. All right. So let's go ahead and, and just jump right into this. We have on the line Diamond Drew Morgan, the pro-child labor lawyer. Uh Diamond Drew, are you there? I'm here. How y'all doing? Hey, yeah, I'm doing good. If if not, you know, just a little bit skeeved out by that, you know, by that commercial. Uh, that was, you know, that some of those things that you were that you were that's that's not like a very common thing for people to be proud of. I'm I'm kind of surprised that you, you know, put that out as your you know forward facing thing instead of like secret memos to bosses. Let me ask you something. Uh, your name's Jacob, right? This yes. is the Valley Labor Report. Yes. You're pro labor. Yes. The working man. Yes. But not the working boy. <laughs> Seems a little hypocritical to me. You're trying to put me out of a job. You're trying to put these 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds out of a job. Now, what is it about you that makes you think you're so much better than them that you deserve all of the opportunities America provides and they do not? Well, I actually think that they do deserve the opportunities that America provides. Uh, so we agree. Time's up. All right. No, no. no I don't no. know why I got up this morning. Thank you. No, 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 no. Because I didn't. I didn't work when I was their age. I went to school. Well, that might be part of the problem. We can kind of tell by your outfit, uh. your general demeanor, that you weren't instilled in the values of being a good American. Mm. But what's your point with that? You didn't work, and what you turned out okay. Okay, yeah. well, my dad used to tie me to a fence and make me do chores with my blind with blindfolds on. And I turned out okay. I don't mean he should have done well, that. I'm not totally convinced that you did turn out okay, Diamond Drew. Um, but you know, like we're we're we're, we're already jumping headfirst into this child. Can't be on the facts. Here we go with personal attacks. Yeah, Ooh, right, buddy, right, right. We're on it today. 
Well, you know, before we jump jump headfirst into this into this child labor stuff, I did want to hit something quick because it's not totally related, but I I did have a question. Your uh, the, one of those customers that you had in your ad, Bullhorn Bill Morgan, uh, who's mm. a a very very attractive person, but you mention you say in the ad that he's not your brother. Why did you why if he's not your brother, why would you feel the need to to say that? Well, you know, we got the same last name. Uh, we got the same stylist, same tailor, and uh, you, know you know that we're both. You, how do you know that you have the same tailor? Now we all, we do know each other. I just wanted to be clear that this wasn't some sort of nepotism case because that's another thing they keep trying to get rid of. Y'all are trying to fire everybody over there on the left. You don't want kids to get jobs. You don't want people who are related to the boss to get jobs. Every time I turn around, you're like, we're pro the working man, but we're going to fire everybody who don't fall in line with what we think they ought to be. Well, so, so I just yeah, didn't but, want anybody to think that, it was nepotism. I think that's fair. Well, and, you know, I'm I'm not totally convinced that it's not nepotism because it's kind of surprising to me that, that what company does, does Bullhorn work for? Hyundai. It's kind of surprising to me that this international company would 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 hire you because I'm not totally sure that you've got like a really good understanding of of the law from your ad. Well, that's very offensive. First of all, I have a great understanding of the law. I studied it for many years at the American Samoa University Law School uh, online, and I feel like you saying that again. You couldn't beat me on the facts, so here come the personal attacks. Now you're trying to attack my resume, which is impeccable, by the way it's it's always the same with you folks. Like I said, you want to get rid of the working man. Someone comes on your program, you don't treat them with any respect. You're clearly not doing your background research. I mean, mm. what do you know about Hyundai and the practices they got going over there that you claim to be so against? Have you ever worked there? Do you uh, know anything about it? No, I've never worked there, but I've I've read about it, and it seems... Oh, he's read about it. Yeah, yeah, I've read about it, and it seems pretty bad. And, and so I'm just, I'm wondering why you think that that these facilities are are appropriate for children to be working Let me in. Tell because you a I mean story. this is oh, okay. Tell, Let me tell me tell you a story. story, Jacob. All right. Uh I got to meet Todd Brady, personal hero of mine, uh, one time at a FUD Ruckers uh, off I-75. He was with his beautiful family. I was with mine. And, you know, I wanted to talk to him and I did, and I got a picture and all that, but I, I thought about saying to him, you know, Tom, when you got beat by the Giants there in the Super Bowl, I really felt like you should have slowed down and not given Eli the ball back. But I didn't say that. You want to know why I didn't say that? Because wow. if he'd have said, well, what do you know about football? I'd have said, well, I read about it. Hey, I read about it, Tom Brady. Well, I read about it. Monday morning quarterback and Tom and I read about it. You don't know anything about the Hyundai plant other than what the liberal bias media said to you about it. And it so you, you talk about child labor practices. They got to practice. Practice makes perfect. You think Tom Brady don't practice? Well, no, no, no. But we don't want to be perfect in child labor because we want children to be learning things as opposed to working in these dangerous facilities. I mean, this are, are you saying that it's just not true that this facility was, was fined $50,000 for amputation hazards? I'm saying that that's unfair and goes against the American way. You you just hit the nail on the head. Sometimes, I swear to God, even though y'all all dress like you're in a 90s music video, sometimes y'all back your way into a point. You just made a good point accidentally. It's about education. These kids mm -hmm. are learning how to be workers in our American system. They'll learn to go to work. 
40 hours a week, maybe 60, if we can change that unfair law, and mm. be a good part of the American dream. Because my dream is for things to work the way they ought to. And part of that is somebody's got to make stuff in America. And if it ain't going to be me, then it should be the 14-year-olds who are poor. Well, but... Pretty simple. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't think it is. I think that they should. I think they should be in school instead of working in these. These, I mean, th there's a there are stories out there about thirteen year olds being killed on the job. Well, I don't believe any of them personally. I've I've never seen anything that I would say constitutes proof on the death of them. As far as them being in school, they are in school. You know, let, let's talk and think about school. You can go to school for all sorts of stuff. Why can't you go to school for building cars? What's wrong with that? Well, they have they have trade school, but you're not right. actually you, you, they can just do that when they get to be 16 and, and actually learn instead of in, in, instead of working in these dangerous facilities. Well, not everybody was born rich like maybe you were, and they can't afford to mm. go to trade school, you know? And I know, oh, well, there's scholarships for that. Look, man, and everybody as lucky as we are, and not everybody's as lucky as these kids. I, dude, you know how I would have loved the chance to go to work in a factory at 14 years old? But unfortunately, the era I was born into – uh, most people who looked like me had plenty, and I didn't have to do that. And frankly, I think I'm a little worse for it. I, I own two boats. Would I own five if I had had to work in a factory when I was 15? Who could say, but probably. probably. makes you think, Jacob. It so, makes you think. Yeah, it, it does make me think. So do you have a limit on how young? Because most people, you know, we decided something like 100 years ago that – you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds shouldn't be working in manufacturing environments. Um, but, you know, you, you're obviously, you're not of that opinion. You're, you know, you, you reckon that we should go back 100 years. Is there a limit for you? Like, is it, would it be okay, you know, we're, we've been talking about 13, 14, 12-year-olds. Would you represent a 9-year-old who wanted to work at, at the Hyundai plant? If a nine-year-old wanted that job and that was the dream they have in their heart, I would probably be their lawyer. Now, if you're asking me, do I feel like there's a limit on the side of practicality? Sure. There's the reason Hyundai ain't hiring nine-year-olds. They can't keep up. I mean, look, we're not crazy. We know eight-year-olds can't build a Kia Sorento. They don't know how. That's why we got them in school. Okay, so you want you want school up until age twelve, and then Hyundai plant at thirteen. I mean, that sounds like a fine way to run things to me. Okay, so you know, we've got you've laid out your position. I think you know we we've laid out ours about the the morality of 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 the child labor, but you seem convinced in this ad that the that these bosses have the right to hire these people. And I'm, and I'm not convinced that's the case. I think that our child labor, I think you would have to actually change the law. I don't think they have the right to hire 12 year olds. Well, there's the law and then there's God's law and then there's the constitution and then there's God's constitution. 
So which law? I don't know which law you're talking about here. I mean, I don't know what you're. I'm talking about the laws. The laws of the state of Alabama and and the United States of America. Well, first of all, those are two different laws, right there. Right, and they're both. We've seen time and time again the federal comes down on Alabama trying to make them do stuff that they. Well, no, Alabama has a law. Alabama's Alabama's state law says you can't work in manufacturing environments under 16. And I'm saying you got rights and you got to challenge things. I believe it was Martin Luther King who said that any law that goes against how things ought to be, you got to break that law. Is that right? Is that, is that what he said? It's a direct quote. It's a direct quote. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, maybe you guys should have went to that school you guys are so up on. Maybe you should have mm. paid better attention. Maybe. She was maybe. back in the back of the classroom flirting or whatever you was doing. My point is, you're telling me it's against the law. I'm saying you got rights. You got rights. But I, I don't think you do. I, I don't think laws, you do have rights. rights. I don't. You do but, have but rights. rights come from the law. They come from the Constitution, which Jesus wrote, and it says, you have the right to the pursuit of happiness. Is that not in there? It is in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Well, let me tell you what makes Diamond Drew and his clients happy. Making money by hiring people who are cheaper, which includes, but is not limited to, that's the part you also keep skipping. It's not like there's just a whole factory full of 13-year-olds. It's like 20, 30% people who are older than that. That's okay. what makes me happy. <laughs> okay. That makes, okay. Um. All right. Well, you know, this is this has definitely been an experience. I don't know, Adam, do you, is there, it, it I, I'm just almost speechless. Do you have any other any questions for for the this this Diamond Drew fellow? Yo, Sam and Ma'am over here can't spit it out. Can, you got anything? You know what, Diamond Drew? Um, I gotta I gotta ask you. So, what like has been the? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. I'm glad there's one on this podcast who knows how to dress like a grown up. You want to talk about kids? Change your well, hat. Go ahead. Yeah, you know. So, Diamond Drew. Um, do you have a particular client that you've worked for and that does it just is there a story you have about a client you've worked for that just, you know, warms your heart? You told us what you like, you told us what mm -hmm. makes you happy. You know, do you mm -hmm. have do you have a is there a particular client? I mean, cuz I just it boggles my mind to think there are people who think child labor is okay in the year 2023. You're saying it's cool, you're saying it's good, you're saying you have clients who come to you and want to pursue this. So, yes. you, have so you actually I, I, had someone? To, I'm not allowed to say names. We'll, well change sure. names to protect the innocent. The okay. innocent victims of American tyranny. I had a client okay. that came to me one time. Uh, it was a car manufacturer um, from, we'll say, an Asian country who had a factory in allegedly Alabama and they had someone who wanted to work there for them. We'll, we'll call his name Oscar. And Oscar was 14 years old, came to this country by himself. The things that he had to go through to get here, to live his American dream, you, you couldn't imagine what he had to overcome. And he gets here, and his whole goal is to make money to send back home to his family. And I'll never forget what this 14-year-old said to me, looked me right in my eyes, said, Mr. Diamond Drew, I would give an arm and a leg to help my family. I said, buddy, I guarantee you with my help, that's exactly what you're going to do. 
And then years later, you know, he did. He lost an arm, and we got a little settlement out of that, not to mention that he worked for five years, sent that money back home, brought two of his brothers over. They also went to work for Hyundai, cut that part. That's not who it was. And now they all got sent back home because they got caught by ICE, and the government took the house that they built that they had paid for full price in Alabama, and I got some of that money too. And they're back home. And, you know, they've got a little bit of a nest egg that they can uh, have back there because they got to live the American dream for, what, a decade? Who gets that? You know what I mean? Who gets a decade of their dream? Not most people. I tell you that right now. Diamond Drew, I just, I find it disgusting. I, I can't believe Me it. Me too. I, American I, tyranny's gross. You know, I just, I, I can't believe that. And, and I just got to ask, so what if, what if we had a society where, Immigrants and refugees could go to school, live a decent life, have housing, health care, a safe, you know, a safe life. And they didn't have to engage in child labor. What about that? Like, have you ever thought about what America could be like without requiring child labor? It sounds to me like you're talking about a free ride. Oh, and mm. you know, I've got to be honest with you. In times of weakness, I have wondered what it would be like people not to have to work as hard as I have, oh, you know, okay. when I inherited, when I inherited my daddy's law practice, I had that's hard work, huh? I had nothing. And so I started out with nothing and I oh. built it into what it's built into. And that to me is the American dream. So you asked me, what have I thought about that? Yeah, I've thought about it. Wakes me up in cold sweats, to be honest with you. Right. But I just feel like that'd be, communism mm. yeah i i take it you're you're against communism <laughs> is that was that some kind i, of I joke? mean i i was just asking i i'm just curious i mean you, you're telling me you're also for child labor i don't know what you're for what you're against you know i'm for uh, freedom okay uh, and the things i hate the most all right taxes the taliban and communism and you can write that down Put it on a T-shirt and sell it on one of your little web things. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. I I think I'm done, Jacob. Yeah. I'm I'm good. <clears throat> All right. We've we've heard well. enough. Um, I find it disturbing. Uh, Diamond Drew, I I wish you no success in court. I hope all of your lawsuits and frivolous challenges fail. Um, and I hope your clients. Your corporate clients, rotten hell. So there you go, Diamond Drew. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say thanks for having me on, fellas. In spite oh, yeah, of that, you're welcome. In, in spite of that cold send off, I, I, I mean, y'all know harm in my heart. I want you to know I've been an underdog my whole life. You know, um, I remember getting picked on at the country club by people mm -hmm. like you. And uh, I don't think it was people like us. <laughs> I think they were well, probably pretty. True. They were probably pretty that's different true. if they were at the trunk country club. That's true. You guys look like you got sickle cell anemia or something. Uh, but other, but I'm saying okay. that I'm an underdog, and hearing things like that don't bother me. I can't be bullied. That's why I went to law school. Mm -hmm. Okay, and Dad made mm -hmm. me. And I can't be bullied, but I do thank you. Okay, I'll be praying for y'all. Mm -hmm. Please, do. <clears throat> please do. All right, all right. Thanks, well, Tom. Bless America. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for thanks thanks for 
Thanks for, Thanks for whatever that was. Thanks for whatever that was. Um, so we're gonna, um, yeah, that was that was something. Um, but we're going to we're gonna take just a really quick kind of uh, you know kind of like a, a sixty second cleanser. Uh, just take a take a really quick break, um, so that you can kind of wash your mouth out. I guess um, you know get one of those ear cleaners or something, um, and then we're gonna be back with. Um, Drew Morgan, the comedian, who, funny enough, has the same name. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I half wonder if they're related uh, with all of these, all these people that that's that's related or yeah. seem to be. But, um, but comedian Drew Morgan is going to be coming on. He has a special out on Amazon Prime that you definitely want to watch. Uh, so we're going to take a really quick break, and and we'll be right back with uh, comedian Drew Morgan. All right, folks, we're back from from whatever that was. Uh, we have on the line to uh, comedian Drew Morgan. He has a special out on Amazon Prime. Uh, this is not actually from the special, but he did send us this audio last night. Um, and so let's go ahead and play that so folks can get an idea of kind of some of the stuff that he does. Sure. Yeah. And our apologies for no video on this clip. We had some we had some technical gremlins this morning with our OBS system. So indeed. Check this out from Gene Morgan. I don't know why I ever paid my student loans ever. Like, I don't, you know what happens if you don't pay them? Do you guys know? They ruin your credit. That's it. They ruin your credit. <laughs> Is there anyone here who's a millennial or younger who gives a single fuck about credit? 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 We're all going to be living on the coast of Colorado in 35 years. Working for Raytheon Farms. Putting in an 18-hour shift for our robot overlords. I get off work, they're fucking our women, not letting us watch. I'm dying inside and out. It's like, oh, at least I got good credit. Fuck that. I will put heroin on credit right now. All right. Comedian Drew Morgan, welcome to the program. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. That yeah, was, absolutely. Uh, that was absolutely. something. Yeah, that was that was something. Um, but you know, it'll it'll uh, <coughs> hopefully folks enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it's it's good to have a foil sometimes, I think. Yeah, you gotta bounce your ideas off of people. The the marketplace of ideas, one of the worst ideas liberals ever had as far as how to decide policy, but it is a fun way to spend two hours. It is. <laughs> Indeed. I would I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It can definitely be fun. But yeah, like Adam said, you know, you just it, like maybe there should be more child labor debates um, because, you know, I kind of find myself find myself like, oh, man, I don't know how, you know, it's almost difficult to defend the position that children shouldn't be working because it just seems so intuitive. I tell you so, what, man, in the day and age of the Internet and like the way we talk about platforming and all that. I, it, I, God, I hate referencing this guy. I don't think I've ever brought him up on a podcast, but it feels appropriate here. Andrew Tate has taught me that putting somebody on just because they're ridiculous can can turn dangerous because there are 13-year-olds in the world who are extremely dumb and yeah. extremely – and then there's also horrible people in the world who are keeping it in until someone with a big following with a lot of clout says it's okay to say these things and then they're like oh yeah i felt that way my whole life and you're like what mm. we played basketball together in high school you think what so yes. i don't know i'm not smart enough to figure that one out fellas yeah 
Well, I'm sure there's definitely folks smarter than either of us thinking about it. So, you know, we'll let we'll let them think about that. But definitely that that's that's certainly something to be said about that. Um so you've got a special coming out on Amazon Prime or it is out. It is out on Amazon Prime, right? Yep, it came out February 19th to my future kids. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's behind a paywall. There's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing I can do about the fact that it's Bezos. Uh, Hollywood is a cruel, cruel machine. Uh, it's funny. I talk to people back home. They're like, why didn't you do Netflix? I'm like, you know what? You're right. Netflix came and they said, we want to do it, Drew. And I had to turn them down because I wanted to be on Amazon Prime behind <laughs> a $6.99 paywall. Um, but I'm proud of it. It is. I will not warn people, but let them know. It's a pandemic special. I don't spend a lot of time on it, but it was recorded at the end of 2021, if I'm doing my math right. And I thought it was going to come out quicker, but like I said, Hollywood sucks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I haven't yet, but I I definitely will check it out to my future kids. I'm sorry on Amazon prime, uh, comedy special by Drew Morgan. And there's and and the whole your whole trio, the well-read comedy folks, each of y'all have a have a special on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, we recorded them all at the same time all together there in Nashville at Zany's our home club and uh, I mean they're all very different, but there's some I guess overlapping themes for anybody listening uh Trey Crowder is the liberal redneck. He's part of the well-read crew. Corey Forrester is the other third member. Uh, yeah, we're kind of like a band, but all front men. That's sort of how we've been hmm. operating for the last five years or so. Uh, but I think that's probably sort of ending, not like a breakup band, but just like everybody getting a solo career going. But yeah. Right. And then you also have a podcast called Gravy Baby. What what kind of stuff y'all talk about on on Gravy Baby? Oh, man, I'm so proud of Gravy Baby. I see your background animation by the great Solo Monk. Solo Monk yes. just sent me um, an animation for our intro. Hell yeah. Uh, Gravy Baby was born out of sort of trying to shake the lockdown, quarantine, protest, just the whole... I mean, look, I, I even say something like this in my special we're not doing good. It feels like America's going through a divorce and we hate the kids. Right. Gravy baby was born out of that sort of feeling and not wanting to wallow in it or Mm. think about it anymore. So, um, we call it good vibes for trash people. Uh, sorry. My wife's just exiting the house real quick. Uh, We call it good vibes for trash people because it's, uh, it's sort of, it's not a parody of, but we, we, we look at all this like uh, self-help, positive thinking will change your life. And me and my good buddy DJ and my good buddy Carmen Morales, we think that's stupid. It, it offends us in our souls to hear people kind of do the Gwyneth Paltrow thing. Mm-hmm. But we thought, yeah, but cynical, shitty people, we deserve joy too. So here's a podcast where we're going to do joy. And we're going to do live, laugh, love. But instead of coming at it from this, like, let's all just open our eyes and now we meditate. We're like, nah, man, what fucking made me happy this week? Uh, I told a cop he was fat. All right, let's talk about it. That's what brings me joy, baby. Here we go. Let's get into it. And it's been really awesome, like really genuinely awesome. What sucks is, God, this sucks so bad. 
And this was kind of a fear of mine. I avoided like working out and meditating for years because I was afraid I'd become one of those people. Mm. <laughs> it's starting to happen, dude. I'm like, now we come in there, we're like, oh my God, it's so good to see you, dude. We haven't recorded in two weeks. I've missed you. And it's like, oh, we're positive people now. But it's also <laughs> kind of cool. Well, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, do you have any particular story that you would want to that you would want to highlight? And give folks a taste of uh, of of what they what they'd be able to hear on the Gravy Baby podcast. Sure. So DJ Lewis, uh, aka Gutter Bumpkin, aka the Goat <laughs> King, um, he he has a goat that's a dog. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm, the way the Gravy, the, <laughs> yeah, so the way. The way Gravy Baby works is we we rotate whose turn it is, and the other two just like, all right, Drew, all right, DJ, all right, Carmen, what's Gravy Baby? Meaning, what's good this week? What's going on mm, with you? Mm. And recently, he's been telling us about his poop pyramid. Okay, okay, I almost don't even want to ask, but I guess I have to because I I already opened this can of worms. <laughs> well, it's a double entendre. It's uh-huh. funny you mentioned worms because worms are involved. Oh, okay. DJ's been trying to become a soul doctor. A soul doctor? Uh, Soil, sorry. Soil, okay. Yeah, so like he's farming now. Okay. And he's been dealing with worms, and he's got this uh, dog that's a goat named Nessie. So he's got goat poop coming out the yin-yang, right? So he's been trying to figure out how to dry her poop out and then help turn it into... um, compost because apparently goat poop is high in nitrates right Mm. so he's telling us about this and his plan and the more he's talking about his business model for how he's going to do it because he's only got one goat right now (laughs) you gotta start small right right we realize about five minutes in that dj's accidentally creating a pyramid scheme A goat poop pyramid scheme. He's like, all right, here's what I got, buddy. All right, I don't have enough goats, but there's other people out there who either have goats or they want goats, and they're always asking me advice about getting goats. And I'm like, look, an only goat is a lonely goat, so you can't have one goat. You got to get two goats. But then I got to thinking, if they got two goats and I teach them how to do the poop thing, I can't supply everybody with the fertilizer. But between the two of us, and he goes, and he's like, I'm like, all right, well, so what? Like, you're gonna give them license to put the name of your and he's like well i hadn't thought about that i guess i give them license or maybe maybe they pay me but then if they're losing money the next person will pay them and then the next person i go you just made a multi-level marketing scheme with goat (laughs) shit you are the purest soul that has ever lived and then so that was his poop pyramid and then a week later he was talking about having to clean out the septic tank of his rv oh lovely and uh, it was frozen and it was full, and he was struggling with it, and he was telling us about it. And then he goes, and man, I was just miserable down there shoveling, doing all this stinking, trying not to get it on me. And I look over at the shape of this frozen thing I've created. It was a goddamn poop pyramid. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, I had a poop pyramid in my life. So that <laughs> really cracked us up. There you go. Well, folks, nice. you definitely got to listen. Gravy Baby. Wherever you get your podcast, presumably, right? Or are you exclusive to one platform? 
No, I'm it's, as far as I know, it's everywhere. I, what I tweet out, what I tell people is you can get this podcast everywhere you could get them in 2018. If there's new stuff, I'm not learning about it. I don't have it in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know I you love that. the app, Jeezel Beasel or whatever it is, and that's great. And I believe in you. And I'm sorry that I don't have whatever phone you have or whatever it is. But the, you know, the big eight or whatever, it's on yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Uh, and before we let you go, I just wanted to say for our audience who may have missed this or may have forgotten about it, uh, Drew Morgan was one of the comedians who mm. was at the Strike Fest uh, that we helped organize back in uh, 2021. God, it's yeah, it's been a while. Two uh, years ago, almost. It'll be in May. Two years ago. Yeah. And that so freaking loony. Yeah, yeah. Almost two years ago, we held the in-person Strike Fest uh, to benefit the striking miners in Brookwood. Uh, Drew was one of the great comedians there. DJ Lewis, uh, who he was just discussing, he was there. Uh, they were both just freaking hilarious. Uh, Jacob and I went to see them here in Huntsville at Stand Up mm -hmm. Live uh, a couple months later. And uh, I saw you're, you're going to be in my neck of the woods. You're going to be at the Princess Theater Indicator, the historic Princess Theater Indicator, right? Is that true? No, or? I think that's I think that's just Trey. I think that's just Trey. Uh, okay. Trey only day. Yeah, you okay. probably saw it on the website. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but y'all definitely support Drew, DJ Trey. You know, I love I love comedians, but I love comedians who also support the cause and you know give a damn about working people. So, uh, looking forward to your Amazon special, man. Thank you so much yep. for for coming on and and for everything you're doing. Hey, yeah, I appreciate that, y'all. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate what y'all do. Uh, I think I told y'all this when I met you. My dad was a railroad union guy. Um, fuck Joe Biden off top on that one. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think in my house and my family growing up, you know, really Christian, but then really mm -hmm. union. And I mm -hmm. think it kind of created a very healthy, um, I don't know, respect and distrust for the two-party system we got going on in America. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyway, I just appreciate that. And, and whoever's listening to y'all, I know y'all got a lot of great fans. Uh, I appreciate working people. Uh, you know, thanks. All right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Looking yeah, forward man. to talking to you again. Hell yeah. All right. So that was that was something different. Um, yeah, yeah, for I sure. enjoyed that. Uh, <clears throat> That's always been one of my... <clears throat> One of my own personal insecurities is that I'm not a very funny person. I don't feel like I'm a very funny person. So hopefully, so I would like to incorporate more, um, more, more fun stuff like that. Um, like yeah. having the comedian Drew. I'm not talking about the child labor lawyer. That was obviously not fun. That was very real. Um, oh, very obviously serious, so. But very um, obviously so. But uh, uh, but yeah, do do want to you know? Uh, so let us let us know what you what you thought about <clears throat> what you thought about that. Um, yeah, I and, enjoyed it. I enjoyed and if it. you and guys, Drew is, Drew is seriously Drew is seriously hilarious. If uh, you know, if you didn't find it funny today, it was only because we were tracking him down. So yeah, yeah check out his solo stuff. It's very funny. But I thought he was funny today. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I had a great time when we uh, saw him and the crew mm -hmm. at Stand Up Live. And yeah. um, I wanted to put the call out to our audience. If you know any comedians or like you follow any comedians that you think would be uh, pretty simpatico with our politics, let us know. Um, you know, let them know. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
would love to do some collaborations. We're down for we're down for collaborations, and that includes with uh, funny people uh, because I think it's important to reach people where where you can in different means and methods. And so, you know, if we can hit hit some folks with some comedy and, and spread the gospel of solidarity, then we're all about it. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> Adam, you know, you've been doing this thing, uh, song and film of the month. Uh, or, or you started it last month in in January, or you started it in January, and so um, and we missed February. We missed February, I, so this is actually going to be February. So yeah, so. do apologize for that. Uh, apologize, we missed on February. So um, did want to go through a film of the month, a song of the month that are relevant to the labor movement. Um, there are a lot of great movies, a lot of great songs out there about our labor movement and about working people. So I want to highlight, you know, a selection each month just to let folks know. Uh, appreciate the folks who have been sending in contributions. Um, this month, really, I had the UMWA strike on my mind. Very heavy uh, with, with that historic strike coming to a close. So in thinking about my picks for the film and song of the month, I started with 1987's Mate One for my labor film of March. Written and directed by John Sayles, this wrenching historical drama recounts the true story of a West Virginia coal town where the local miners struggled to form a union, rose to the pitch of all-out war in 1920. When Mate Wan's miners go on strike, organizer Joe Kinahan, played by Chris Cooper in his film debut, arrives to help them, uniting workers white and black, Appalachia-born and immigrant, while urging patience in the face of the coal company's violent provocations. With a Cracker Jack ensemble cast, including James Earl Jones, David Straithorn, Mary McDonnell, and Will Oldham, and Oscar-nominated cine cinematography by Haskell Wexler, Mate Wan taps into a rich vein of Americana with painstaking attention to local texture, issuing an impassioned cry for justice that still resounds today. Uh, that is from the Criterion Collection. Uh, Jacob, I don't know if you have seen Mate Wan, but I think it is one of, I think it's a fantastic movie, separate from you know the politics and the labor aspect to it. Um, the company thugs are so hateable uh they they do a great job with that uh you know villain it's always better when you like really really have a reaction to a villain mm. uh and the two company thugs that come to town are just such creeps um the things that you know a couple of scenes or, or moments in the film that really stood out uh i would say the dynamic of the workers themselves and the diversity of the workers. Uh, so this is a West Virginia coal town during the West Virginia coal wars of, of 1920. And, um, you know, so you have these white Appalachian uh, folks who are working in the mine and you have uh, some black folks who are sent up to the mine from, uh, from the deep south. And then you also have Italian immigrants who are sent to the mine. Right, who are speaking a different language, have, they have a different faith background. Uh, so you have three different groups of workers. And this is intentional by the bosses to divide the workforce, hoping that you know these three groups would be at each other's throats. 
And one of the themes of the movie is is the ability for solidarity to overcome those those divisions. And so you see throughout the film uh, the black workers, the Italian workers, the West Virginia workers start to organize collectively and start to come together and start to get to know each other uh, and start, you know, where there once was maybe fear and prejudice, there becomes solidarity and understanding and collaboration. So I really, uh, I really love the movie. I love the, the, the message of the film. Uh, John Sayles is, uh, you know, a, a very pro-labor director and writer, uh, which we don't always get in Hollywood, obviously. So some great performances in the movie. If you have not seen Mate One, please, please do check it out. Put it, put it on your radar. Um, the ending is, uh, I, you know, I don't want to spoil the ending, but the ending will definitely affect you, I think. Uh, I don't know how it couldn't. And if you're at all interested in the history here, uh, I want to plug from a while back, a deep cut from the show in our back catalog would be our interview with Dr. Chuck Keeney, mm. uh, who wrote the, the road, the road to the Battle of Blair Mountain, uh, I believe is the official title of that book. Uh, but he's involved with the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're interested in the history there, uh, in fact, I think Chuck Keeney has some kin, you know, kin folks to some of the characters in the movie. Um, so, yeah, definitely recommend checking that out. That is my labor film of the month, 1987's Mate One. You check it out through Criterion Collection. So for, fil- uh, for our labor song of the month, sticking with the theme of the minor strike, I wanted to stick with something that you've already heard, actually. Uh, you hear it every episode. You hear at least a little bit of it. And that, of course, is Which Side Are You On? by Florence Reese. Um, the song came out in the early 30s, in 1931 is when she wrote it, after her and her children were accosted by a group of men said to be working for the owners of a mine during a strike in, in the early 30s. So she came from a union background. Her father was a coal miner who was killed in the mines. Uh, her husband was a union organizer in Kentucky who died slowly of black lung. So, you know, Florence Reese was not really a singer. She never claimed to be a singer, but she was definitely of and by and for the union movement. And and that's, you know, it's reflected in, in her song, really. I, th- I think not just in the lyrics, but like in, in the passion in her voice, you can hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of folk songs, it's melody came from a hymn, Lay the Lily Low. It has, of course, been covered by numerous folks in the years since 1931, probably most famously by Pete Seeger, uh, who, you know, did it solo and also, I believe, with the Almanac Singers. Uh, Billy Bragg has also covered it, as well as the Dropkick Murphys. So if you want a, you know, a more modern twist on the song. Uh, but Which Side Are You On is a classic, and I think it really sums up a lot of what we talk about in the labor movement, a lot of what we're about in the labor movement. Are you on the side of working people? Are you on the side of the bosses? Are you on the side of labor? Are you on the side of capital? Right? Are you on the side of the striking workers who are fighting 
for a better life, for dignity, for their families and their community? Or, or are you on the side of the gun thugs, the scabs, the police? That's a question we all have to ask ourselves, and it's a question we should ask of, of anyone in leadership. Which side are you on? Uh, I have no doubt that our listeners know which side they're on, uh, and I have no doubt you'll check out this song. Which Side Are You On by Florence Reese, 1931. Uh, and I did want to give you one bonus song. Uh, I won't go in detail here, but uh, we got a submission last month, actually, from uh jacob do you remember zach who? flash zach flash yeah. zach flash uh way to go zach in fact zach has sent me another song that i will need to add to next month's list uh mm. but zach sent us ordinary man by christy moore and that's c-h-r-i-s-t-y christy moore i i found it on spotify uh I didn't know what to expect, uh, but I was very pleasantly surprised by this song, Ordinary Man, uh, by Christy Moore. Talks all about, well, life as an ordinary working class person uh, and devoting your life to the factory before it shuts down and, and you're kind of left high and dry. So keep those songs coming. If you have any uh, songs, any films that you think really resonate with the labor movement, if it's about the labor movement, uh, has some kind of positive message about working people coming together to organize for a better life, definitely let us know. Absolutely. And so today we're going to leave you off with a little bit of a kind of like a preview for, um, for, uh, have you, have we decided on shop talk yet or yeah. pre shift is, are, have we, have you made a decision on, on what we're actually going to call that, that new, New new show. <clears throat> uh, I think we're about ninety nine percent sure it's going to be shop talk. If anyone in the audience has a strong recommendation, otherwise, um, you know, let me know. Uh, pre shift talk and shop talk were the two ideas we've been kind of batting around. Uh, and also, yes, uh, the sheriff and Mate Juan took the side of the union. Yeah, before we before we dive into the segment. Uh, Definitely meant to mention that. That is one of the coolest things about that story. Mm. Uh, the sheriff sides with the right side of history. Yeah, uh, it's the, like, yeah. the only cop to ever do so. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's very strange, very unusual, and that's you know. So don't want to spoil the ending, but again, you know, check that out. I think it's very powerful. Um, so yeah, we we are moving uh, on to our final segment about. What to do if you're called into a meeting by your boss. And this is a little bit of a preview of the type of material we're going to be doing on our new weekly episode, um, which is tentatively titled Shop Talk. And so what we're going to be doing on Shop Talk is a deep dive on labor history and a deep dive on labor education and training. Right. So we'll keep the newsier stuff for uh, our regular Saturday Valley Labor Report more online stuff or our overtime. Uh, but Shop Talk is going to be more of an educational experience focused on labor history and focused on training. I want the idea is that, you know, at least maybe once a month, 
an episode of Shop Talk would be very appropriate for shop stewards to send out or for officers to send out to their stewards. Uh, we want it to be something very practical, tangible that, you know, you can you can take away and share with other members of your union or in some cases uh, with your coworkers, even if you don't have a union. Uh, still want to have information and resources that will be helpful for you to defend yourself and your coworkers in the workplace, union or not. So with all that said, um, you know, if that's the type of thing you're interested in, if you'd like to learn more about uh, being an advocate for yourself in the workplace or an advocate for others, stay tuned for Shop Talk. Uh, and we will have regular content along those lines. And where we're starting today is what to do if you are called into the boss's office. Um, what happens next? What if it's an investigation? What if you're in trouble? The answer will depend on a lot of different variables involved. Uh, so if you are a worker, you're called into the boss's office. If you reach out to me, a couple of the first questions I'm going to need to know is, well, where do you work? What kind of workplace is it? Do you have a union in your workplace? Are you a public school employee? Or are you in a non-union private sector uh, workplace? You know, there's there's different legal frameworks depending on which kind of uh, workplace you're in. So the answers to what to do when you're called into the boss's office is going to largely be based on on that, you know, the type of uh, workplace you're in. So for everybody listening, there are things that you can do to protect yourself uh, and advice that you could also share with your coworkers, regardless of, you know, industry or union representation. Uh, but obviously, if you do have union representation, you have more recourse when it comes to a boss asking to meet with you, investigate you, or discipline you. So for those of you in your union workplace, you're in a union shop, you have a union that you're a member of, you get to exercise your wine garden rights. This is your official right to request representation. In a union environment, your contract is going to determine how much due process you have at work. Uh, but when it comes to a disciplinary meeting, if the boss calls you in to ask you tough questions about your performance, you can exercise your wine garden rights. You can ask that you have the meeting rescheduled or postponed until such a time that your union rep is available. And uh, the employer doesn't get to determine who that representative is, right? It's typically it's going to be, you know, your steward. Uh, but depending on how your union is structured, how your workplace is structured, it could be somebody else. It could be a staffer of the union uh, or it could be, uh, you know, just a co-worker that you go to, frankly, uh, so, you know, to serve as basically like a witness. Um, my background with this is primarily in the public school setting as the uh, local field staffer with the Alabama Education Association. I frequently accompany members in disciplinary meetings and investigatory meetings. Um, public schools in Alabama have a little di bit different uh, rights to that right to representation, which I'll address in a second. Uh, but 
every one of you has some some things that you can do. But if you are in a union shop, that's ideal. Have your rep sit in on the meeting. Uh, and it's, you know, it's going to help you. It's going to prevent you from digging yourself a hole that you maybe can't get out of. And when I'm talking about being called into the boss's office, uh, the expectation is that, like, something bad could happen from it, right? Um, if your boss is calling you in for a casual conversation, pick your battles, right? You know, I had some members that had such an adversarial relationship with their supervisor that it got to the point where they didn't want to have any conversation with them without me or another representative present. And, you know, it's a shame that it gets to that point, first of all, but it's also impractical. And, and in some cases, you know, a boss wanted to just have like a basic conversation, like they needed to relay information to the employee uh, or ask some very basic questions that were not, you know, going to lead to trouble. Um, and so I'll say that you, you, you should pick and choose your battles on that. Um, if you're a union member, you've been called into the office and you exercise your wine garden rights, some people in, in management may take that as an escalation. They may assume that you're, you know, you've done something or that there's some reason to be suspicious. Of course, you know, we can all say that they shouldn't do that, right? It's your right. You should exercise that right. And uh, to exercise that right is not an admission of guilt or, you know, an admission that you you have any reason to be concerned. But, you know, we're talking about human beings. And, and the reality is that some of those human beings on the other side of the table will take it that way. So, as I mentioned, due process is not exactly uh, going to be the same for every worker. It's going to depend on the contract that you have in your work site. If you don't have a contract, well, then it's going to be based on a collection of laws and, you know, whatever the policies of the company are. But keep in mind, company policies are, are not set in stone, right? Um, if at-will employment is the default, even if your company has some policies that gives you some degree of, you know, due process above and beyond that, uh, it's not unusual for companies to ignore that policy when they so choose. And uh, you'll find lawyers uh, do not have a lot of success in holding companies to those policies. At least in my experience, certainly in a state like Alabama, where the default judge is going to be pro-employer. So having due process just means that you have some form of procedure and steps that have to be followed before you can be disciplined, whether that's a suspension or, you know, even a full-on termination. So that's different than at-will employment. At-will employment's the default for most workers in most industries outside of a union contract. It's, that is the law of the land in Alabama. Uh, at-will employees can be disciplined or fired for any legal reason. And what that means in practice versus theory is, is important. Uh, we can all say that at-will employees can be fired for any legal reason. We can assume that means there are illegal reasons. And that's true, right? Just because you have no due process, just because you're an at-will employee, 
you cannot be fired for your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your religion, your immigration status, any protected category, federally protected category under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. You know, you, you are not supposed to be fired for those reasons. Right? You're not supposed to be fired for a discriminatory reason. So it's not as if employers just can do literally anything, but in practice, let's say you are fired as an at-will employee and you believe it is discriminatory in nature, right? It's because of whatever identity you have, a category that you, you fall under. How are you going to prove that? That is, is the, the burden of evidence is extreme. Um, I once had a lawyer tell me in reference to an at-will employee that the only way he thought the judge would agree it was discriminatory is if, <laughs> is if the words came up off the page and literally slapped him in the courtroom. That was the only way it was going to happen, uh, right? So unless you have uh, your management on videotape or in an email explicitly explicitly saying we are going to fire this person because they are insert category here uh you're going to find you have a very tough time so you still have your rights you still have the right to pursue an eeoc charge and absolutely if you think something like that has happened you should uh but there's a reason why unions fight so hard to have due process uh because it just it helps to level the playing field there's just so much room for malfeasance in at-will at employment. It gives the employers way too, too much power. So, you know, that's all context for being called into a meeting. You have to know what your due process is. You have to know that your, your status, uh, because that's going to help you determine how you respond. If you're an at-will employee, you don't have a union rep, you know, Maybe you don't enter that meeting like a bat out of hell, ready to fight, unless you're prepared for what could come next. Um, one thing that you can do, regardless of your employment status, your, your union status, is in the meeting, the meeting itself, you, the employee who's being questioned, you can record the meeting. Check your state laws, but in Alabama, we are a one-party consent state. That means only one party to the recording has to consent, and it can be you who presses record. So that was one tip I passed along to my members. Like, hey, if, if I can't be in the meeting with you, you get ambushed, right? Because supervisors love to do those ambush meetings to catch you off guard, to prevent you from talking to your union. You know, if you're caught in that situation, you can record the meeting could be very helpful. Um, I recommend taking notes during the meeting. Have out pen and paper, old school. I really, really recommend that uh, for a couple reasons. One, it's important to have notes and you're going to forget stuff, especially if you are being grilled by your boss, it's going to be a stressful situation. You're not going to remember everything once you walk out that door, right? So taking some notes can help you Retain the facts that are relevant and important. And the second thing is that it allows you to 
help control the flow of the meeting. You can slow it down and say, hold on, let me let me write this down. I need you to repeat that. All right, you can you can slow the meeting down a little bit. You can shift the flow of the meeting. And it's not you trying to uh, do anything improper. You're just trying to take your notes. You're just trying to jot down important details. What might you jot down? Well, who is in the meeting? Who all is in the meeting and what is their title? What is their position? What do they do? Um, why are they in there? Like that's, that's a very important part of the meeting notes. Uh, your meeting notes should also indicate the time and date of the meeting and where the meeting was held. Was it in boss such and such's office or was it in the human resources department? Uh, where, was it in, you know, a break room? Where, where did the meeting occur? Uh, those are all very important notes to have. And of course, you're going to want to uh, jot down the best you can the questions that you were asked. You want to be able to keep track of what it was that they were investigating you for or what it was they were accusing you of. So that's a little bit about your notes and, and how to proceed with that. Um, when you're in the meeting and you're responding, my advice would be to speak truthfully but concisely. You don't want to lie. You don't want to be dishonest. But you also don't want to share more information than is really necessary. Uh, and that can be one of the tripwires is you get to talking and you start saying more than you probably should. Um, that's why having a rep in your meeting can be very handy, right? Because your rep can, you know, give you the nudge, kick you under the table, give you the signal on the table to pipe down. Uh, that is something that if you're by yourself, if you're flying solo, you're not in a union or you don't have a union rep available, you know, that just takes a lot of self-control. And that's where, again, taking notes can help you because you're trying to focus on the notes and keeping track of the conversation without letting yourself get too caught up in the conversation. So speak truthfully, but concisely. Answer direct questions, but don't volunteer answers to questions that were never asked. All right, that's very important. After you leave the meeting with your boss, it's not over. Uh, in fact, it's just started, really, because whatever is to come is still to come from, from management, whether that's a suspension or termination or, uh, you know, further investigation, whatever the situation may be. Uh, so when you get done with the meeting, as soon as it is possible, as soon as it is possible, uh, you need to do like an after meeting to do list. Some of that is going to be finalizing your notes, making sure your notes are in order, making sure you have a copy of those notes. Uh, if those notes only exist on pen and paper in that one notebook, you need to type it up, email it to yourself using your personal email, not your company email. Uh, you could also take a picture of the notes. However you do it, do it, you know, whatever method works for you, but ensure that you have copies of an easily accessible copy of these notes. Uh, and the flip side to it is to make sure it's easily accept, accessible to you, not to your management, right? So I, I strongly advise you don't do this sort of thing through your, your work email. 
your working mail does not belong to you. It belongs to work. And so anything of a sensitive nature about your own employment situation or any trouble you may be in, you don't want that discussed on work email. So your after meeting to-do list is you wrap up your notes. If you recorded the meeting, well, then you'll need to go back and do something with that recording. If nothing else, test it out. Make sure it did record and this, the audio is actually usable. Uh, you, you know, unfortunately, I've had situations where I went in and recorded the whole meeting, but because of the way it was sitting in my pocket or, you know, whatever the, the space in between the people talking, you know, play the recording and it's just garbage. It's totally unusable. So that's that's a danger you have if you're relying totally on a recording. Unless you're super, super sure it's going to be high quality and, you know, everything's going to go off without a hitch, you might want to have your backup plan of taking some notes old school. Um, once you have your notes in order, you have your recording in order, if you have a union, you want to talk with your union about what occurred, right? Whoever your, your sort of immediate level representative may be in your situation, a steward, uh, a building representative, uh, you know, perhaps it's an officer or a staff member, but you know, you want to talk to your rep about what transpired in the meeting if they weren't there. Uh, and you can, of course, provide them a copy of your notes uh, and hold on to that as well. Uh, and the most important thing after that meeting, once you've got your, your notes in order, is to monitor what happens next, right? Because if it's an investigation, there's going to be more to the, the process. At some point, the investigation will conclude. Um, if it was a disciplinary meeting, do you have a copy of the disciplinary documents that were being discussed? And, you know, where does it go next? Is there a process? What is the process? You know, did you receive a disciplinary write-up, a written reprimand in the meeting itself? Or is that written reprimand coming at the next meeting, right? That, that's the sort of thing you got to you gotta just strategize on where you're at on their timeline. And it is their timeline to some degree. You should know what the timeline is in fact, in policy, in law. Right. Just like, for example, you know, the 180 day deadline for EEOC cases, you need to know that and you will be held to any deadlines that are out there. But just know that because a company has a policy that says, you know, we'll respond to grievances in 10 days doesn't necessarily mean they're going to respond in 10 days. Right. And, and, you know, this was certainly the case with the public school district I was working with, uh, where if we missed a timeline, it was definitely a big problem, but if they missed a timeline, eh, what are we going to do, right? They would just challenge us. They would just see how far they could push it. So I've told you a little bit about what to do when you're in a meeting, how to handle being in meetings with your boss. Um, if you are in a union workplace, you exercise your wine garden rights. That is very important. Uh, these rights have been upheld for, for decades now at this point. Um, if you're not in a union workplace, well, I mean, you don't have a rep to go to, per se. Um, you know, the classic, the classic thing to say when you're exercising your wine garden rights is, 
If this discussion could in any way lead to my being disciplined or terminated or affect my personal working condition, I respectfully request that my union representative or steward be present at the meeting. Without representation, I choose not to answer any questions. I further request reasonable time to consult with my union representative regarding the subject and purpose of the meeting. I shall not consent to any searches or tests affecting my person, property, or effects without first consulting with my union representative. It is good for you to know that. It's good for you to say that. And many unions have that print something to that effect printed on the back of their business cards. Uh, if your local does not have information about the wine garden rights, if you don't have that easily distributed to your members, that's something you can put on your to-do list. Whatever committee you're on, whatever role you have in the union, if your members are not getting something that shares their wine garden rights, uh, put that on your to-do list. That's very important. It's very important that your members know the rights that they have on the job and the way in which the union plays a role in enforcing those rights. Uh, and so the last thing I'll say on this is that uh, public school employees in Alabama are somewhere in between the totally non-union and the total union uh, dynamics. Public school employees in Alabama have a right to representation, but it is not solidified in law. It is not, uh, you know, as rock solid as the wine garden rights that private sector union members have. It's based on some older case law that, um, you know, let's just say it's tenuous. And right. So you have to pick and choose your battles, particularly as a public school employee on your right to representation, because there's only so far you can take it. Uh, you absolutely should request a rep. You absolutely should request the meeting be rescheduled to when you can have a rep if the rep's not present. But do know. If you absolutely refuse to have the meeting without your representative. Uh, you could be opening yourselves up to an insubordination charge. So that's something you, you have to keep in mind. If you are a public school teacher in Alabama, you don't have the same wine garden rights that your you know, wife or husband may have at their union shop. You have something like that, uh, but it's not nearly as definitive. And if push comes to shove, you might not win that fight. So. Keep that in mind. Know your right to request the representation. Exercise your right to re uh, request representation. If representation is not available or feasible because of the union status or because of the industry you're in, you can still protect yourself by recording the meeting, by taking notes, by doing some after-meeting homework and monitoring how management responds you can still do some protection there. And those notes you need to keep up with because as you go through your journey, whatever that journey may be and wherever that journey may end, if that journey does end in some form of discipline and uh, some negative consequences for you, those notes from the meeting very well may be the basis for your grievance. It could be the basis for an EEOC charge. Uh, an unfair labor practice, whatever the situation may be. So 
that's a little bit about what to do if you've been called into the boss's office. Uh, that's a very casual uh, discussion of the topic. Uh, on Shop Talk, we will be going a little bit more in depth. We'll we'll do uh, we'll have some more guests on this one. We just wanted to kind of talk about and share some tips and tricks, uh, but nothing too you know too formal or official. Uh, but on Shop Talk, we do intend to, to get a little deeper with some of these. Uh, so, for example, I intend to invite some attorneys on uh, to talk about the EEOC process, what a discrimination charge looks like, how the law defines discrimination. Um, but we also want to talk about ways in which stewards can be effective in organizing in their local, um, anything that may be educational in nature, the type of training that you hope your unions are providing or that you wish your union was providing. So any ideas you have, any questions you have, any tips you have, anything you would like us to address in the educational component of this new show, definitely let us know. We're all ears. Uh, <clears throat> thanks for that, Adam. Appreciate it. We got a question in the chat. Are Wine Garden rights named after Ryan, Randy Wine Garden? And uh, no, it is named after the 1975 Supreme Court case NLRB versus J Wine Garden Inc. So um, that's where the name comes from. Yeah, I, and I know, and that's that's actually a fairly common question, I guess, just because uh, Randy Wine Garden is one of the most prominent you know, union officials in the country uh, and a frequent Fox News punching bag. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. Makes sense. Makes sense. But, yeah, um, seriously, any any uh, any things that y'all come up with that you think would be important, would help you or your coworkers, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Thanks for that uh, rundown, Adam. That was really good. You'll be able to hear more. Have you set the day for, for when you're going to come in and do shop talk, or, or uh, is that still kind of up in the air? Yeah, I believe Thursday mornings are going to be okay. our regular day. Uh, that is the plan. Um, it's going to be in the morning, not super, super early, Um haven't finalized the time slot i'm thinking nine o'clock um gotcha but uh that's probably the plan so just stay tuned you'll see you'll see it uh debut um for episode one we're gonna do a little introduction and we're gonna do march labor history and then uh we're gonna do an introduction to the walker county teacher strike of 1979 which actually has a UMWA connection as well. Ooh. So it's very I wasn't aware uh, of yeah, very relevant to uh, some of the stories we've been talking about. And of course, as a former educator, that's going to, you know, it's, it's one that I had top of my list uh, because I think it's important that educators in Alabama know that, hey, people have gone on strike here before. It's really happened right here in Alabama. Yeah. So, um, yeah, appreciate the support. Uh, look forward to the new show, and, and really, um, I think it's going to be good. I think All you guys right. will like it. Tune in on Thursday morning to hear Shop Talk, and then on Saturday morning for your regularly scheduled Valley Labor Report. See you then. Bye. Bye.